my head to my face An empty gaze is all I have The stars that once led my way Have dimmed the sky turn grey The path once so clean faded away Blessed are the days when life is intent and clear
This is a Voice in the Wilderness podcast channel. Today's episode is going to be There's No Neutrality in Spiritual Warfare. But first, a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Amen. All that I am, all that I have, all that I do shall be consecrated to the service, honor, and glory and exaltation of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and the Heavenly Kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, Immaculate Heart of Mary, please pray for us. Sacred Heart of Jesus, please pray for us. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Amen. So, I think the title is self-explanatory, but for those of you who are not knowledgeable about the history of warfare, um, and once again, I, I can't recommend enough listening to my original podcast because I've covered a lot of the subjects I've covered here in more depth. Now, maybe not necessarily a longer podcast, but over the course, I think, uh, I think it was like 140, 150 podcasts. So, you know, over episodes here and there, I would, I would cover bits and pieces, but taken as a whole, it all works together. So, um, when I, the reason why I talked about the history of warfare, and obviously when I say this, I'm talking about um, earthly warfare, not heavenly warfare, but earthly warfare. The reason why I say this is, and like I said, I covered this in more depth in my original podcast, everything that happens on earth, everything, relationships, um, hierarchy, um, you know, battles is, is a pale reflection of God's, God's spiritual reality. It's just, whereas obviously in the spiritual reality, we're talking about spirits, whereas, you know, as human beings, you know, um, we are limited and finite. That's why I said a pale reflection, because we have limitations where spirits don't. So, I cover in my original podcast the fact, um, and if I haven't said this, because it's, it's been at least three or four months since I covered that topic, um, even within the realm of physical warfare, you can apply the principles of battle to relationships, leadership principles, um, character, all that. You can apply all that to... Uh, like I said, to uh, physical principles. But as I, I'm, I promise you, I'm getting back to what I, I started off with. Um, earthly battles, like I said, are a pale reflection of spiritual battles. Now, what do I mean by this? Because the title of this episode is there's no neutrality in spiritual warfare. Now, um, the same is true in earthly warfare. I'm going to use World War II as an example because 
it's the one it's the one uh battle that I'm really conversing in. There were only well, I take it back. There were three yeah, there were three neutral countries in World War II on the European continent. I'm not talking about South America, Africa, or whatever. There were three neutral countries. Sweden, Switzerland, and Spain. Now, to those of you who are conversing with World War II, you'll say, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Spain sent Hitler troops. And I would say, you are correct, sir. However, they never allied with the Axis powers. There is a book by... Um, oh, what is the guy's name? David Irving. It's called Hitler's War. And he records when Hitler... <laughs> hit. You know, Franco must have been a heck of a guy because he got Hitler to take his private train from Berlin down to Spain. And Franco had him come on to his train in Spain, which to those of the more cynical minded is a brilliant piece a brilliant piece of strategy. You know, if you go to Berlin or get on Hitler's train, you could be kidnapped and forced to do stuff. He gets on your train. He's on your territory. Brilliant. But um, Hitler, I, I want to say he, because Hitler didn't debate, he just talked at people. So he talked at Franco for about 16 hours. It might have been even longer than that. And Franco was like, eh, no dice. Well, the way David Irving puts it is, he put the cost of his signing on to the Axis powers so high that there was no way that Hitler could have ever have taken him on as an ally. And once again, um, this, you know, this is, this is a credit to Franco's um, political intelligence. Because I think when Hitler did this, it was 42. I'm not sure if it was before or after Stalingrad. But in 42, and he, he had sent his volunteers over to Hitler, and they were all volunteers, um, in 41 when he invaded Russia for the express purpose that, you know, communism, you know, bad. But at, at, at 42, the writing was on the wall because by this point, the United States had already, you know, joined the war. You know, on the quote-unquote allied powers. So, it doesn't, t well, people say hindsight's twenty twenty. All I'm going to say is, it doesn't take a PhD in military history when you've got the two largest land powers on the earth allied against you. And one of those powers is supplying the other powers with material. <laughs> Not just material, food, propaganda, everything. But anyway, that's not what this is about. At the end of this conference... Hitler confided to one of his associates that he would ha rather have a root canal than ever try to negotiate with um, Franco again. Which didn't happen. <laughs>
obviously. I want to say, I, I don't, I, I think by, by January of 1945, Roosevelt and Churchill had pretty much forced Franco into declaring war against Hitler. But by that time, you know, it was, it was over. Now, with Sweden, Sweden played both ends off the middle. I mean, they, now that, it is true that they stayed neutral throughout World War II. However, however, when it was appearing that the Germans were going to take Moscow and basically own Europe, they, they were giving cooperation to Hitler. Now, they were still giving cooperation to Churchill and, and, and uh, Stalin under the table, but, you know, they, they, they were openly helping out Hitler. And then after 1942, when it became apparent with America entering into the war that this was going to end badly for Germany, they were less accommodating to Hitler. And obviously, Churchill, Stalin, Roosevelt, Good buddies, good buddies, but ostensibly on paper, they were neutral. And for you America firsters out there, oh yeah, Hitler was going to invade America and they were going to take us over. Hitler didn't even have the military um, material to invade England, which was... If I'm not mistaken, the shortest bit between the channel between France and England is like five miles, if I'm not mistaken. He didn't even have the material to do it. But <laughs> to think that Hitler was going to be able and to, to be able to invade America you know, if, if you actually believe that unironically, you've been drinking a lot of, of propaganda Kool-Aid, okay? Wasn't going to happen. Same thing with the Japanese. The Japanese, the whole reason they did Pearl Harbor was they did not have enough force projection to, to invade Hawaii or much less the fourth, uh, I'm sorry, the west coast of the United States. And, um, you know, when we, when we were ostensibly neutral in 1939, you can Google the Lend-Lease Act. We were basically arming, or it might've been 1940. We'll just say 1940. We were basically arming England and Russia. Now, once again, we were lying through our teeth and saying we weren't arming them, but we were, which is why Hitler sent his U-boats after American shipping in 1940. Don't have to like it. That's a historical fact. But I, I'm sorry. I tend to get autistic about this. But what I'm saying is, so I, I talked about Sweden. Switzerland was the last neutral. And... Switzerland had been through two world wars and was able to keep its neutrality. And I'll tell you why. Because Switzerland is a bunch of mountains. It's small and it's a bunch of mountains. And it doesn't have to worry about um, any army. I don't care if it's the Allied army or it's the German army invading Switzerland because even the most, well, the most, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, dilettante. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, that's a 10 cent word. Even the, 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 the mostly ignorant military strategist knows that you cannot send a mechanized military 
into mountainous terrain. I mean, you could do it. They're going to get chewed up. And before you 300 IQ takers go, yeah, well, we got nuclear missiles and jets. I'm talking about the 1940s and the 19, uh, uh, the, 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 the early 1900s, World War I, World War II. That type of, they had bombers in World War II, okay? Not even the American Army, or I'm sorry, not even the American Air Force at its peak, even combined with the British, could have bombed Switzerland into submission because it's all mountains, okay? And trust me, the... the <laughs> The uh, the Swiss have built literal forts into the into the Alps. So there was no there was no way Hitler was going to invade. There was no way Roosevelt and Churchill were going to evade. And had things gone differently, and Stalin had been able to take over Germany and and Eastern France. There was no way that he was going to be able to take over Switzerland overtly. Now, he could send his agents of influence within Switzerland to, to put in a uh, communist government. He'd done it in other countries, but militarily, there was no way. So what I'm saying is, given their geography, Switzerland's neutrality was guaranteed. Other than those three instances I listed you, and... The reason I brought up America is, you know, the the, the storyline is, was, oh, we were neutral till Hitler declared war on us. It's garbage. It's propaganda. You can drink the Kool-Aid if you want. But there were things going in favor of their neutrality. Now, for recent students of history... Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan, and for that matter, Kuwait, um, there were pockets within those countries that did not choose to affiliate with either the Americans or the Iraqis or the Afghanis. Uh, Oh, and the Vietnamese, uh, North Vietnamese or South Vietnamese and Americans. And that was because um, basically, let's just say the American, I'll use Vietnam as a pertinent example. Let's just say American forces with their Vietnamese allies roll through a Vietnamese village that um, that wants to be neutral. They don't want no part of the South Vietnamese government. They don't want no part of the commies. Well, what the American government's going to do is they're going to put pressure on that the chief. Hey, play ball, or we're gonna, you know, we're gonna take you out. And when I say take you out, um, take him to to the edge of the village and putting a bullet in their head um, is a little too blatant. We like to we like to hide our brutality through what we consider finesse. So they won't do it that way. What they will do is is they will contact their their allies in South Vietnam. Say. Uh, Mayor X and Village X won't play ball. Replace him. And sure enough, Mayor X, you know, either gets exiled or, you know, shunted aside. And the mayor who will play ball with the Americans takes over and tells the villagers, hey, I've got the support of these South Vietnamese troops here. Go pound sand. We're playing ball. Now, in the case of the Viet Cong or the MVA, what they do is 
the thing about Stalinist communism, there's no finesse about it. There's no iron fist in a velvet glove. It's just literally an iron fist with spikes punching you in the face as hard as it can. So let's just take the village in question. Most of the South Vietnamese troops aren't worth what is uh, colloquial known as worth a tinker's dam. So basically, they, they will uh, intimidate the South Vietnamese troops out of the village. They will publicly execute the uh, mayor that South Vietnam, uh, that Vietnam, uh, South Vietnam had sent, the South Vietnamese government had sent. And for good measure, they're going to execute the guy, the mayor who wanted to remain neutral. And to those of you who are political realists, know why? Because there's no neutrality. You're either for a side or you're against it. There's no neutrality. There's no escaping it. Okay? And then they will proceed to execute every known person that they're aware of. And believe me, they had their own spies who cooperated with the South Vietnamese government. And once again, you know, it's not a matter of just bringing in some local Vietnamese. No, they, they took him to the edge of the village, dug a ditch, shot him in the back of the skull, and left him for the vultures. Now, I know I got long-winded there. This is what I'm trying to say. In the spiritual life, it is no different. So, I realized it took me 20 minutes to get to this point. So I'm going to get directly to what I'm talking about. I'm sure uh, a lot of Americans, unless they have literally been locked away and you know not been paying attention, have heard the George Bushism. If they're not with us, they're against us. Well, in his own way, That is God's attitude toward human beings who refuse to affiliate with him. But unlike George Bush, he's God, meaning he is just and he is fair. So if somebody doesn't want to be part of his kingdom, he's not going to force them. But at the same token... He's, you know, and, and unless he gives them a special grace, he's going to leave them to the tender mercies of Satan. The other side. Um, and he's not going to assist them for the most part. He is sovereign, so he can, he can make exceptions. But for the most part, he's going to leave them to their own devices. Now, here's the thing about Satan. A lot of Protestants, and for that matter, Vatican II types, think that, well, um, you can sell your soul. Once again, see my original podcast, you cannot sell your soul because it does not belong to you. It belongs to God. And Satan has no claim to your soul. When, if you should be sent to hell, to hell, heaven forbid, if you should be sent to hell with Satan, um, your, your soul is not his. In other words, Satan can't make you go to hell because your soul does not belong to him. It belongs to God's. The reason why you end up in hell with Satan is because hell is the destination to all those who refuse to submit to God's rule. It's really that cut and dry. I know in modern society, we try to make things more complicated and more epic than they have to be. It's really that simple, though. You know, Satan, 
Now, when you get to hell, he'll be allowed to torment you, yes. But your soul's not his. He's he's only going to be able to, him and his demons are only going to be able to torment you because they're spirits. And while your soul will be a spirit too, you will also have a body. So, um, I, I, um, some people like to say that hell is Satan's kingdom. I don't think so. I just think that, um, he's, he and his demons are allowed to torture damn self, damned souls to try to encourage people not to go to hell. But that's just my theory. I'm not claiming any sort of authority or infallibility on this matter. So you take it for what it's worth. Um, I think I mentioned this. I, I'm not sure if it's on this platform or my original platform. There's, this, there's a uh, scene in the movie Devil's Advocate. Al Pacino plays Satan. And of course, in the movie, the, uh, the, the, the lawyer who goes to work for him, who is Keanu Reeves, does not know he's Satan. But through the course of the movie, um, the Al Pacino character signs up Keanu Reeves because he's one of the best lawyers in this little uh this state that he's living in i mean he 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 is literally the best of the best and him and his wife go to to new york which is no never mind i'm not gonna get in there anyway they move to new york where uh the al pacino character literally has his own building and they live Oh, I don't know, two or three floors from where Al Pacino lives. And through the course of the movie, you know, they're interacting with him. They're hanging around his, you know, he always has a bevy of beauties around him. They start, no, you know, the, the, the Keanu Reeves notices, character starts noticing that his wife is acting differently. She's getting all freaked out. And he just... As he's watching Al Pacino, something registering with him. So in the climax of the movie, he confronts Al Pacino. And Al Pacino lays it out on the table. He says, yeah, I'm Satan. And, you know, Keanu tries to argue with him. He's like, well, you're leading souls to hell. You're, you're signing people to hell. He's like, no, I don't have that power. Only God does. People willingly serve me. I don't have to do anything. He says, with a lot of people, all I have to do is suggest something to them. And they'll willingly follow me. Whether knowingly or unknowingly, because they want to do their own thing. Or something to that effect, but it was along those lines. And that's true. I don't know who wrote the script, but they basically got the theology of Satan correct. Satan doesn't have the power to buy your soul. Satan doesn't have the power to give you what you want. He literally doesn't. Just like he needs permission from God see the book of Job in the Old Testament, by the way, to torment somebody. In, in the case of Job, it was a just man. He also needs God's permission to give the unjust man what he wants. You know, it's, it's a matter of God's divine providence. So, 
what I'm trying to tell people is there is no there is no neutrality. If you're not serving God, even even, you know, you don't need to be a satanist. You don't need to be a wor- a weird 300-pound lady with purple hair and glasses all tatted up with uh piercings to worship Satan. I mean, you know, I'm talking about a literal satanist here. If if you're just saying, "Yeah, I don't believe in God," or eh, I don't have proof that, you know, there's a God or eh, um, I, I, I don't have to do, you know, um, I can, I can, I can worship God as I want to. I can read his Bible how I want to. I can have my own faith without regards to what God actually wants. You can do that. And guess what? You're still serving Satan. You know, I know for a lot of Protestants and Vatican II sect guys out there, you're going to think I'm crazy full of crap. Think what you want. Think of what you want. You know, um, what makes in particular Protestantism so insidious is because What makes it so insidious is because they will, they, part of the theology is you do your own faith without regards to, to, you know, anybody else. You do your own faith. You serve God as you see fit. You read your Bible as you see fit. And you have no superiors outside of yourself your Bible, and your faith. And anybody who understands God's will understands, that's not how it works. And I'm going to put this in a very, as simple of of, of an example as I can make. Let's just say, that you want to work at a five-figure company, oh, maybe six, a six-figure company, and they go in and interview you. And you basically tell the HR person, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not following your rules. I'm, I'm not, you know, your dress code, you can go pound sand. Um, you know, your, your sexual harassment policy, policy go pound sand. I'm going to show up when I want to show up. You're going to pay me what I want to get paid. And you're just going to basically let me do my own thing. Even the most secular person knows that's not the way it works. You take the man's money, you play his game. And I don't want to hear some 300 IQ taker try to say something along the lines of, Well, if you're really talented and skilled... Nobody is that talented and skilled. Nobody. The people who are really talented and skilled go into business for themselves. And the really greedy people who are really talented and skills end up selling their, I won't, I won't, not their literal souls, but their they're figurative souls to some soul, soulless board of directors for a cheap and meaningless title of CEO. And guess what happens when the guy who built the company, who made it what it was, doesn't play ball with these bunch of melagomaniacs sitting around the table with them. They get kicked out of their own company. Don't believe me. See, John, I believe his last name is Schleitzlinger. The, the, he was the founder of Papa John's. He got kicked out of his own company. And for a more pertinent example to my younger group, C. Steve Jobs. He got kicked off of Apple. 
And then when the clueless idiots that were running the company realized that they didn't have his gravitas to do it, well, they hired him back. So, you know, and everybody in America thinks that's, that's, that's their dream. That's their dream. That's to start their own business and to, you know, be successful and then sell it to some soulless conglomeration for a big payday. But this isn't a rant on that. Actually, this isn't a rant at all. But anyway... Everybody knows that you don't go into a job interview and dictate terms. They dictate the terms to you, no matter how skilled you may be. I went from a co-manager at one restaurant. I applied to the same company, different franchise, and... I had to start off as a crew person again. So, and and believe me, at my other position, and the guy did talk to my manager. My manager actually begged me to stay where I was at. So, um, you know, (laughs) and, and, to, to make to put a finer point on it. To those of you who've had run-ins with the law and you're facing the judge, have any of you just walked up to the judge and said, hey, judge, I don't have to listen to you. Look, the charges are bullcrap. You're going to dismiss them. You're going to award me $10,000 from the state. And you're gonna you're you're gonna buy me a new McMansion out in the suburbs, and you're 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 gonna help me get a job on the state payroll where I don't do crap and I make six figures. Yeah, I didn't think so. That never happens. Maybe in your fantasy life it happens. It don't happen in real life. So what I'm trying to tell you is you don't dictate to God Almighty, He dictates to you so you know um you can you can live in the mistaken notion that you're a free agent you call your own shots you do what you want to do without any regard to what god wants and see what happens i'm not saying this to be mean see what happens i hope For your sake, and I really do mean this, that you don't end up dying before you have a chance to repent. Because if you die in the state of thinking that you're a free agent and you, you know, you do what you want, not what God wants, I'm just saying it's not going to end well. So, and like I said, oh, thank you, Lord Jesus and Mother Mary. There's one last point I want to get to. A lot of people think that um, that people who aren't in good with God get attacked. Once again, for the sake of honesty, I was under that mistaken impression. That's not the case. Generally, the case is the people who are damned, or let me let me rephrase that for the sake of charity. The people who are not living to God's will. Now, I'm not saying that they don't have everyday problems like anyone else. They do. But their problems, for the most part, not all, for the most part, tend to be your average run-of-the-mill problems. Divorce, um, in the case of guys, maybe loss of the kids, um, uh, 
you know, maybe, maybe a, uh, a stint in jail. Um, you know, maybe losing their job. Now I know to a lot of people, well, that's not run of the mill. Honestly, given what I've seen in my life, it is run of the mill. Now, I ain't going to lie. I live practically in the gutter. But that's that's what I've seen. And even, you know, here's, here's one of the things that the Masonic Satanist overlords try to do. To those of you of a certain age, you'll remember uh, Robin Leach in uh, The Lifestyles in the Rich and Famous. That painted this idyllic, you know, this idyllic picture of, you know, the rich people whose only problem that they ever had was picking out their outfit for the day. Anybody who's been paying attention knows lots of movie stars, lots of um, rock stars, overdose, go broke. Commit suicide. And by the way, you can throw in sports athletes too. And just being a guy like, say, uh, Warren Buffett or Steve Jobs, for that matter, is a is a piece of a piece of cake. It ain't. Steve Jobs had his own set of for, uh, misfortunes, and Warren Buffett. I'm pretty sure he's he's probably got a team of lawyers on standby that if anything negative that should break about him, that they, they hush it up. So what I'm trying to say is once again, I'm 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 calling myself out here. I've actually fallen under the error of thinking that, you know, once you become a Christian, things tend to be, you know, what I consider normal. That's not the way it works. You know, and honestly speaking, I didn't come to this realization till last year that the closer that you try to serve God to get closer to him spiritually and his blessed mother and the heavenly kingdom. You know, even, let me put it to you this way. In spiritual warfare, you got to remember who you're fighting. You're not just fighting spirits and demons, but you're also fighting your corrupted nature, which the Catholic Church calls as his flesh. And in addition to this, you have your um um you also have the world around you and the majority of the world around you thinks if you're trying to be pious and devout they think at best you're a religious fanatic oh i'm sorry at worst they think you're a religious fanatic at best they think you're a kook a nutball a nutcase So, but you've got to fight that. And at various times, depending on what divine providence has in store, one day's problems may be just physical. You know, if you're, if you're an older person, maybe, you know, your bad back starts acting up. Um... You know, if you, if, uh, um, now let's just say the physical, your, your knees act up, your back acts up. If you're older, if you're younger, whatever your particular, uh, carnal, uh, your favorite carnality is, you know, lust, anger, Greed, drunkenness, for some people it's drug abuse, or just being a general overall a-hole to people, that'll happen. And then, as far as, 
what I call the world, well, the Catholic Church calls the world, the people who are non-believers, some of these people are going to be in your life. And depending on if you laid down the law or not, let's just say you had a group of drinking buddies. You Before you converted, you guys used to go to the strip bars, get loaded, and, uh, you know, do whatever. Well, if you get serious about your conversion, those guys are going to be the ones calling you up, say, hey, buddy, we're going to hit the strip joint, man. Why don't you join us? Now, regardless of how nice these guys are, you know, how good of friends they've been to you. And I'm not not trying to suggest that they haven't been. If you have integrity, you're going to have to tell those guys, nah, man, I, I don't do that stuff anymore, man. I don't do that stuff anymore. And depending on the type of people they are, you may lose them for a friend. And by the way, it's not just friends. It also is relatives. And in some case, spouses, and I hope for, for your sake, it's never a spouse. But, I mean, spouses have divorced people for less than finding God and trying to serve him. So, if you're... If you're truly trying to do God's will and you're trying to seek him spiritually, um, it'll appear if, if you don't have the, the right spiritual mindset, the thought may cross your mind. Oh, God hates me. I'm trying to serve him and all this crap is coming down. Oh, by the way, financial problems too. That can happen. Lose a job, uh, blow a uh, blow a piston in your car, you know, anything. But you'll be trying to, and if your mindset ain't to, isn't in the right headspace, I'm trying to serve God, but all this, He must hate me. I mean, look at look at that uh, that scumbag up the street. He beats his wife, he cheats on her, and, you know, he's, he's driving a new car, and he lives in a McMansion, and blah, 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 blah. I just want to remind you of this, uh, I'm not, yeah, I think this is either in the Psalms or the Proverbs, the rain falls on the just and unjust, meaning, meaning, just because that person, and I'm well, it's a hypothetical, so I'll just say this person's being a scumbag. Guess what? He's got to answer for that. Now, sometimes it actually happens in life, and in life, so let's just say the scumbag in question. The wife gets tired of being beaten. She finds out that he's been cheating on her. So she gets a high-powered attorney. And in addition to being divorced, and she gets to keep the kids, and he's got alimony and child support, but also he goes to jail for beating his wife. And let's just say... That look for for the sake of this hypothetical, let's just say that he was at a good job that allowed him to do this. Well, a lot of companies frown deeply on um on uh beating your wife. <laughs> so let's just say. You know, the manager, the CEO finds out that he's been beating it. Bye-bye, jobby. Or, or, let's just say that he owns his own business or whatever. When your wife divorces you, 
I'm not going to say in all cases and in all states, but at least in the few that I've lived in, when your wife divorces you, she gets half your stuff. And anybody who's ever been male and divorced knows that even male judges um, will, will come down on a male like a ton of bricks. They will come down regardless. You know, the guy could have been busting his hump at an 80, uh, 70 hour week job. They, they, you know, the wife takes him to court. She, she's going to get half, half at the least. So just remember the rain falls on the just and the, and the unjust. And honestly speaking, if you are trying to live for God, his blessed mother, the heavenly kingdom, and the one true Catholic church, you really shouldn't be paying attention to your neighbors anyway. That's part of the spiritual life. You're only supposed to worry about yourself. And part of the reason that God allows uh, what are known as trials and tribulations in our life is to force us to get closer to him, to rely on him. Not on ourselves, but on him. So, once again, um, there's no neutrality. And just as a final note, if I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make two points. The first one's real fast. The second one's kind of fast, too. A lot of the saints, I'm talking about Catholic saints here, when they weren't going through a rough period, and what I mean by rough, I mean rough, a major illness, spiritual, really serious spiritual attacks. If things were going what we as uh, lay people would consider normal, you know, there was no major drama. There was no major issues going on. They would literally get mad at God and ask him, what, are you mad at me? Come on, send, send, some, send some stuff my way. And um, my second point would be if you've led a pretty, what you consider normal existence, and when I say normal, I just mean that there have been no major traumas in your life. Everything's going well. You're happily married. Your kids seem to be doing okay. Um, you're making a decent living. If you're not, and you need to think very Seriously about this. If you're not trying to get close to Jesus and his blessed mother in the heavenly kingdom and this stuff is going on, I would seriously consider maybe thinking about what I just said. And by the way, by the way, anybody who's serious about their spirituality and when I say serious, I mean serious. They take it seriously. Their, their lives are not tranquil. As I said, on some days it may be one thing. Other days it may be two things. And on a really tough day or a period of time, it may be three or more things. But, but their lives, if they're serious about their spiritual life, um should not be tranquil. Well, that's why the Catholic saints always say, um, the world is not our home. It's a way station. So, um, I guess that's all I got to say. So, once again, if you're giving me almost 55 minutes of your time, I do appreciate it. I really do. 
And um, I don't care if people agree or not. If you gave me 55 minutes, I'm going to be... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be uh, polite enough to say thank you for listening. Polite and grateful. Um, and it, like I said, it doesn't matter if people agree with me or not. It really doesn't. Um, I, uh, I care about everyone. In my own flawed fashion, I do care. And I would like to see as many people get to heaven as possible. And I pray for everyone. So, I'm going to end by saying, thank you for listening. Thank you for your time and your patience. Um, Have a good day. God bless you. Bye-bye.